If you would take your scriptures and turn with me to Second Peter chapter three. Second Peter three, we'll be reading the entire chapter. Second Peter three. Would you give ear to the reading of God's word? Beloved, I now write you this second epistle, in both of which I stir up your pure minds by way of reminder that you may be mindful of the works which you which were spoken before by the holy prophets and of the commandment of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior. Knowing this, the scoffers will come in the last days walking according to their own lust and, and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. For this they will forgetful, will forgetful, will For this they willfully forget, that by the word of God the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of the water and in the water, by which the world that then existed perished being flooded with water. But the heavens and the earth, which are now preserved by the same word, are reserved for fire until the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. But, beloved, do not forget this one thing, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens will pass away, and with a great noise, and the elements will melt with fervent heat, both earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with fervent heat? Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, looking forward to these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace without spot and blemish. And consider that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation, as also our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given to him, has written to you. As also in all his epistles, speaking to them of these things, in which are some hard things to understand, which untaught and unstable people twist to their own destruction, as they do also the rest of the scriptures. You, therefore, beloved, since you know this beforehand, be aware, lest you also fall from your own steadfastness, being led away with the error of the wicked. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and forever. Amen. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. Let us pray. Gracious Father, you tell us the things that have happened to your people were for examples and were written down as warnings for us on whom the fulfillment of the ages has come. Jesus Christ brought the fulfillment of the age and through him we were given the testimony of you as our Heavenly Father. Help us, Father, through these wonderful accounts of your people to learn from them. Let these words we are to examine this morning be warnings and encouragements to us as we walk this world. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. 
As we begin our study of chapter 3, Paul lays before us a picture of what is to come. He does this as a continuation of what he has already taught us in both of his letters. He has made it clear that as believers, you're called to a life of holiness. It is your responsibility to take the things you have been taught and to apply them to your life. You do this not to earn your salvation, but to show your love and appreciation to the one who has saved you. The one thing all believers should be eagerly looking forward to is the return of their Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. This is the hope to which every believer should be looking. But Peter wants you to understand the dangers that are lying in wait for you as you approach this day that Peter calls the day of the Lord. He has already warned you about the great and ever-present danger of false teachers. He has made it clear that there will be many of them and even some inside the church herself. It is your responsibility to study God's word and be so familiar with the truth it teaches so you can spot these false teachers. But there's also another danger, a danger that is always present and is just as dangerous. This danger comes from just about every corner imaginable. It will come from those outside the church as well as from those within our walls. It is a very insidious attack against the truth of God's word and the promise of the gospel. It's an attack that can can sneak up on you and catch you off guard, can pull you in before you even know it's there. Peter called you as believers in chapter 1 to make your election and calling sure. He told you how to do this. He told you that God has provided everything you need for both life and godliness. He then told you how to make these things sure in your life. 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 5 through 7. But also for this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, to knowledge self-control, to self-control perseverance, to perseverance godliness, to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness love. This is the path. This is the path Peter shows that will lead you toward the great and wonderful day of the Lord about which he speaks. It's a path that only those who have been saved, only those who have been made alive and enabled by the power of the Holy Spirit can follow. But the thing Peter wants you to understand is that there has never been a path that leads to so much wonderful rewards that is not constantly under attack from those who won't follow it themselves and won't destroy anyone else who does. He warned of the false teachers how he warns, now he warns of others who will attack and try to misguide you. Open your ears, my friends, and listen. Open your hearts and understand. The road you're on leads to a wonderful place, but it is a narrow and winding road. Many who travel the broad road that is easy to follow have missed the entrance to this way because of their closed ears, blinded eyes, and hardened hearts. Peter says, listen, and do not be like them. He first calls all to remember the things of the past. Second, he issues a warning, and a very important warning. Third, he explains the result of not heeding this warning. 
Peter, having spoken on false teachers, now returns to his admonition and exhortation to those who truly love and honor Christ in his church. 2 Peter 3, verses 1 and 2. Beloved, I now write you the second epistle, in both of which I stir up your pure minds by way of reminder, that you may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets and of the commandment of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior. Peter addresses his readers as beloved, or some translation use dear friends. This is Peter's way of telling them how much he loves, how much he cares for them. He wants them to listen because he does care about them. Peter gives to them an example of how they can add to godliness, brotherly kindness. He shows that you should be concerned with the spiritual welfare of others. He directs that your concern should be for them, hearing and understanding the truth. Therefore, when a friend is observed doing something that's not in accord with God's word, your responsibility should be to to remind them of their failure and to call them back. This is the first step in discipline. Christ said in Matthew 18, 15, Moreover, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he hears you, you gained your brother. You can apply this as Peter has. When you know a brother is weak, when you know he is not holding tightly to the truth, the same admonition here is in order. In these first two letters, Peter exercises this idea of discipline. He warns these people of the errors that stand in their way, and he calls them to be very careful. He tells them he writes these two letters to keep them active in thinking about the truths of God's word. He says, in both of which I stir up your pure minds by way of reminder. This is just as much a part of discipline as is confronting someone about sin in their life. He writes this letter and the things in it because these people needed to be stirred up. Men learn truth and become overjoyed in it, but they also quickly forget the lessons they learned and fall back into the errors that preceded their enlightenment. Men are but by nature a lazy lot. They would much rather do what makes them feel good at the moment than prepare for what will serve them over time. Peter knows this weakness, and he writes to call you away from this weakness to something that will serve you well and give you hope for the future. He says, I write these words to stir you up, to make you remember the truth of God's word, the promises of the gospel. Herein, you should learn that it's for your benefit to continually be reminded of the truth of the gospel the truth of your own sinful, evil nature and of your inability and unwillingness to hear and understand the gospel makes it impossible for the gospel to stand fast in you without God's grace working in your heart. You must continually be reinforced with the truth of Christ's sacrifice. You must be reminded of the great and glorious promise of Christ's return to gather his people to himself and take them with him to heaven. To forget these truths would be to return to the oppressive and terrifying darkness of eternal death. Peter says he'll not allow those whom he loves to do this. He says you must continually be stimulated to pure minds. 
I have told you before, Christianity is a religion that requires you to think. Here, Peter says the same thing. You cannot come to the cross of Jesus Christ and not think. You are called to recognize, to think about the fact that you're a sinner lost and without hope. You are called to admit that you're totally worthless, that you're completely helpless before God on your own. In seeing this about yourself and thinking on it, you will then ask the question, how then can I be saved? Haven't we all asked that question at one time or another? In asking this question, you'll find the answer in Jesus Christ and in him alone. He came according to the scriptures into this world to live the perfect life the law required for man to enter into God's presence. Since you have seen your own worthless condition, you will also see that it was necessary that a sacrifice be offered to God on your behalf for you to be able to come into his presence. And that sacrifice had to be a perfect life. If you're thinking and understanding the words given by God through the prophets and hearing the commands given through the apostles, you will see that it was Jesus Christ who made this sacrifice on behalf of his people. You will also understand that Jesus Christ also won for you an impossible victory by his resurrection and the defeat of death. Peter says in verse 2, that you may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets and of the commandments of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior. The only way. The only way you're going to grow and remain strong in this wonderful gospel message is to continually be reminded of what God has done, said, and promised. Therefore, hear his words and all of his servants and let them, them work in your heart keep you excited about his work on your behalf. You must fight and fight hard against any deception that is perpetrated against the truth. And the best way to do that is to be open to hearing the truth proclaimed over and over and over again. In the next two verses, Peter lays before you a warning. This is a warning I think only grows in importance the longer the world goes on. Verses 3 and 4. Knowing this first, the scoffers will come in the last days, walking according to their own lust and saying, Where is the purpose of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. He first points out the time about which he speaks. He calls it the last days. You should understand in the, that in the New Testament, the last days of the time from Christ's resurrection until his second coming. Peter shows this in Acts 2, verses 17 through 21, when he quotes from the prophet Joel in his sermon on the day of Pentecost. Joel says that all the terrible things of God's wrath will come to pass in the last days. He goes on to show that through the New Testament church, Many will come to know Jesus and his spirit will be poured out on all flesh. The signs of judgment will come as the last day approaches where the sun will be darkened and the moon turned into blood. But he also says during these last days that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Hallelujah. What a great promise. 
So Peter warns that there will be another group besides the false teachers that will come into the church and cause much trouble. He calls them scoffers. These people will not be overwhelmed with doctrine. They won't try to get into doctrine as the false false teachers did. But they will directly scoff at the truth and will try to make it seem like nonsense. These scoffers are truly apostate. They deny the truth of Scripture and anything to do with God. We have many of them in our day. They try to play down the importance of the truth of God's Word. They do not actually deny the truth, but they fail to give it the place of importance it deserves. Instead of believing the truth, they ridicule the idea of truth itself. They ignore the truth as though it is completely worthless. I think what, we're see, what we see going on in so many churches today with worship is a perfect example of this. They have replaced the preaching of the truths of God's word and the reading, praying, and singing of the word with stories and dramatic performances or musical programs that all have a secular leaning. They declare their love of the gospel, but they don't live up to their declaration when it comes to following Peter's admonition to continually be repeating these truths. Paul speaks to this very thing in Colossians 2. Toward the end of the chapter, Paul warns against formalism and mysticism, which are two errors that can lead away from following Christ and Christ alone. He says in verses 20 through 23, Therefore, if you died with Christ from the basic principles of the world, why so, at why, as though living in, in the world, do you subject yourselves to regulations? Do not touch, do not taste, do not handle, which all concern things which perish with the using, according to the commandments and doctrines of men. These things indeed have an appearance of wisdom and self-imposed religion, false humility, and neglect of the body, but are of no value against the indulgences of the flesh. What Paul says is the same thing Peter says. How in the world, how can anyone who has seen their sin and God's holiness and recognized their salvation as being in Jesus Christ alone, how can they turn away from the truth and begin following the things of this world again? Doing things men say are needed for your salvation. How can you abandon justification by faith alone for justification by works? How can you abandon the worship God prescribes in his word to follow the worship of your own will, of your own imagination? That seems to me to be absolute foolishness. This is exactly what these scoffers do. They are concerned only with what makes them feel good in worship. They have no concern about God's commands. They say, God wants me to feel good. Now I ask you, To show me in Scripture where God says that, I just simply can't find it. But I do find where he says he wants us to be holy. Being holy in this sinful, evil-filled world doesn't make people feel good. It makes them understand their need of more of God's grace. It shows them that they cannot save themselves. I pray you didn't come here this morning to be made to feel good. I hope you came to hear the truth of God's word. Yes, there are times, times when great joy will flood your hearts because of God's grace and mercy. 
But there will also be times when great sorrow and pain will overwhelm you because of the sin you see in your heart. This is what makes hearing the gospel truths over and over again so very important. They will cleanse your soul. They will build your assurance of hope that one day Christ will return. And you will be given a place with him where he te- where no tears will be shed and pain will be unknown. But that is what we are looking forward to. It is not here now. The warning Paul issues is against those who try to tell you that the gospel is just a myth. And that we must develop our own path to God. Verse 4. These scoffers come saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. This is why I said this warning becomes more important as we pass through time and Christ delays his return. These scoffers try to say that the vast amount of time that has gone by makes the return of Jesus Christ less likely instead of more likely. I think we can see this in the attempt to do away with the doctrine of the literal six-day creation. The Bible declares, and it declares without any exception, that God created the earth and all of creation, including man, in six days. Some want to make these six days six generations spanning millions of years. I know many who don't want to use that to destroy the idea of a creator, but that's exactly what it does in the end. We believe in a sovereign God. We believe in the infallible and inerrant word of God. The word says he created the world in six days and on the seventh day he rested. In the Ten Commandments, in Exodus 20, verses 9 through 11, it says men should do the same thing. What is it they should do? Work six days and rest on the Sabbath. When you try to change that to millions of years, you wind up limiting God's power and thus weaken the grounds of his promise to return. Peter says he wants you to think, and here is one good reason to follow his admonition. God gives us, through the revelation of creation itself, enough information to know he exists. He then adds to that revelation through his word the information needed to understand his plan of redemption. Peter says, be careful and don't allow anyone to scoff at the truth revealed. Don't listen to them and don't engage them in discussions of such nonsense. Keep your mind active and your heart open to the truth of God's word, lest you be pulled into their lazy and slothful ways of thinking. I've told you a number of times that it's important to remember the past. It's important to remember the things that have already been done in order to avoid the mistakes and to make the future brighter. Peter uses this idea in the next verses as he reminds you of things that have gone before and of things to come. 2 Peter verse three, chapter 3, verses 5 through 7. For this they willfully forget, that by the word of God the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of war, out of the water, and the war in the water, by which the world that then existed perished, being flooded with water. But the heavens and the earth, which are now preserved by the same word, are reserved for fire unto the day of judgment and perdition 
of ungodly men. In these verses, Peter declares that the results for the pre-flood world were a foreshadow of the results of our world and its unbelief. Those scoffers try to belittle and play down the truth of God's revelation. They may not openly attack the gospel, but they try to make all the underlying foundations appear to be just mere myth. They try to destroy the scriptural account of creation. They say it couldn't have happened that way. They appeal to science to try and prove their point. What are they forgetting? They're forgetting science is only man's attempt to understand God's world. They say science says the world has to be millions of years old. Christ showed the fallacy of that argument when he created the water into wine. It was the best wine of the day, and it is aging that makes wine good. He created it with age, just as he did the world. Peter says in verse 5 that the heavens and the earth were formed out of water. Now, remember the Genesis account. Genesis 1-6. Then God said, let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters, and let it divide the waters from the waters. What does this tell us? It says it all started in the waters. Genesis 1-7. Thus God made the firmament and divided the waters which were under the firmament from the waters which were above the firmament, and it was so. He shows the land came out of the water. Genesis 1-9. Then God said, Let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place, and let the dry land appear, and it was so. It was so. God did it. He did it exactly like he said. The land came out of the water. God made it clear that water was the primary means or the main element used by which he created the world. Please understand, the world does not exist apart from the power of God. Yes, God uses means to accomplish his purposes, and in this case it was water. The power behind the means is always God. This is what theologians call secondary causes, And secondary causes are a result of God moving on an agent of his own choosing. Therefore, we see water acting as the foundation of God's creation. Peter goes on to speak of the flood. He says, by which the world that then existed perished being flooded with water. What was the element God used in the destruction of the world? It was water, the very same element he used as the foundation of his creation. Again, water is only the secondary cause of the destruction. God is the one who commanded water to rise and cover the earth. Water, as a servant of God, obeyed his command. Please understand this. God is the one who's in control. God's the one ruling this universe. People can scoff at him. They can scoff at his word, but they cannot derail his plan. God created the universe and he destroyed the world once with water. No one has yet to cause his plan to slow down even a little. The sins of the people before the flood were not a surprise to God. They scoffed and made fun of his prophet Noah. Even in the face of their constant derision, Noah preached the truth and called them to repent. They refused only to be destroyed. The same fate awaits all who continue to scoff at the truth of God today. Listen to Peter's warning in verse 7. 
But the heavens and the earth, which are now preserved by the same word, are reserved for fire until the day of judgment and the perdition of ungodly men. What will be the results that face all who scoff at God's world? They will be destroyed, not by water this time, but by fire. Hebrews 12, 28 and 29. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us have grace by which we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. For our God is a consuming fire. God will not allow anyone to scoff at his word and at his glorious plan and not be consumed by his wrath and destroyed. The fate of those who would scoff at God's word is very clear. It's clearly laid before you. It would behoove you each to search your heart and to do as Peter has admonished and think about those things you believe. Examine your heart in the light of God's word and commit yourselves to following his word and nothing else. The day of the Lord is coming. He will come through the eastern sky one day to claim those who are his and to cast into hell all who have continued in their rebellion against him. But he issues to all who will hear and believe a call in his son, Jesus Christ. The call of this wonderful gospel message goes out to the hearts of all men. If you will hear and believe on Jesus Christ that he is the one sent from heaven by the Father to save his people from their sins. And if you will call out to him acknowledging your own sinful heart and your total inability to change your nature. He will hear from heaven. He will heal your broken heart and make you alive in him. He will give to you the wonderful gift of his Holy Spirit and through the Spirit he will begin to mold you into his image and he will prepare a place for you with him in heaven. All you need to all you need to do is hear this call to know that he is already at work and your soul is saved and your place with him guaranteed by his power and by his power alone. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Jesus told us to never let our hearts be troubled. He said we were to trust in him and in you. Jesus promised that in your house there would be many mansions. He said he was going there to, be, to prepare a place for us, and when he came back, he would take us there with him. He said his desire was that we should be in heaven with both he and you, Father. He told us we would know the way. He made sure we understood he was the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus made it clear no one could come to you except they come through him. He said to really know him was to know you, Father. Please open our hearts, transform our minds, that we may know you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.